somebody tonight. All right, good, 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 good. Got a good spirit in here, good spirit out there. And we've been singing what our scripture says tonight. We're going to get to that in just a few moments. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving because the Lord, God so loved the world that He what? He gave. What an example the Lord is. And of course, we know that the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. And your tithes and offerings have been very faithful for which we praise the Lord. You'll be receiving another a letter from us. We try to keep in touch over these past year and a half, year and three quarters. We've been keeping in good communication. There has never been a time, I'll never forget, when this thing first began uh, about, uh, what's, what would you say, 16, 18, 20 months ago, whenever it started in, in serious fashion, had someone say to me, now, Pastor, you've got to get on. I said, I am on this thing. All right, now here's what I always say. God has this thing. And because I've been talking to Him, I've got this thing too. So don't you worry about it. And if, if I drop in my tracks, I'm absent from the body, present with the Lord, someone will step in here, and just like this preacher, because God has it, they'll have it too. And when they have it, then you've got it. So praise the Lord. I'm talking about knowing, having this confidence that God is in charge. So anyway, praise the Lord. Communication has been excellent, superb. And uh, we got a letter going out. This past Monday night, Neil, didn't we have a tremendous meeting? We had folks here. We had folks Zooming. And uh, unanimity, great, great uh, sense of oneness among our leadership in the church. And we are going forward. We are setting five-year goals and have a five-year plan. And that's extended into 10. And don't faint now. And 20. You say, but Jesus is coming back. Well, what if he doesn't come back for 20 years? You've got to have a 20-year plan. And that sort of bleeds into a, gen a general 50-year plan. And like our Asian brothers and sisters, they don't do anything short-sighted. We're going to have a 100-year plan. You see, I just can't imagine it. Well, you know that they were totally wicked during Noah's day for a full 100 years plus till the ark. And you know what? The, every imagination of mankind was evil. We haven't even reached that point yet. Praise the Lord. I believe, I believe this. Our hope is in the Lord. But I believe on many different levels, I can still see a glimmer of light. Now, some of you might say, well, that light at the end of the tunnel, that's just a train coming the other way. No, 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 no. I really, I really, really do see some glimmers of hope. We are not totally gone yet. And praise God. And I don't want you to get pessimistic on yourself or the Lord or me or the church, but praise God. Thank you for your faithful giving. We're coming up on the end of the year. want you to catch up if you haven't done so. And we're going to be talking to folks in... And, and encouraging them to get blessed. We have a give a Christmas gift to Jesus, this special fund, discretionary fund. We have used it repeatedly with missionaries and with special projects around here. And uh, we have uh, upgraded some things and improved some things, some things that had fallen by the wayside. But we're getting caught up. And so I praise the Lord for that. Now, I, I like what Dequan says. Dequan says, 
Send those sign-up boards around for the Thanksgiving family dinner. We're going to have a great dinner, aren't we, Daquan? Amen. And all of you out there are cordially invited. Come and bring somebody, but bring lots of food, too. We need meat platters. We need, we need side dishes, mashed potatoes, sweet potato casserole, green beans, corn, peas, dressing or stuffing. We need salads. We need buttered noodles. We need desserts. And folks, just bring it on. Bring it, and uh, we will accept the challenge and try to consume it. What we don't consume, we're going to send to some needy folks. And if we can get people to carry that in the spirit of Christ to people who can't be here, won't that be wonderful too? What a blessing that is. Talk about blessings. Our nephew, Trevi, Trevor Beecher, uh, is not going to be able to be with us for Thanksgiving. And we feel bad about that. Now, he's going to come up one of these weekends and be with us. Maybe Christmas. We'll see. Uh, he's down in the Carolinas. But he said, Uncle Brad, he's so encouraged by the broadcast. He's so encouraged by the, he loves, sings along with the songs. He likes that one about, put the devil under your feet. He likes that one. And, uh, but he said, Uncle Brad, he said, I'm going to be helping out to feed some needy folks on Thanksgiving. Isn't that great? The people who think that there's no hope for the millennials and the younger generation, praise God for young men and women like that. Amen. They aren't just thinking about themselves. They're thinking about others too. How about you? Amen. So this Saturday, all right, between now and then, I need the men to help me. We're going to do some setup. Afterwards, we'll do some cleanup. But we're going to do some setup and we're going to do some prep work. And folks will bring in the food. And then we're going to have a wonderful time. And when we're done with that wonderful time, we'll take the leftovers to folks. And don't worry, we'll see that whatever you've got gets picked up, okay? So if you can't bring it in, uh, you can't drop it off, we'll have somebody to do that. And so praise the Lord. Now, we are online. Keep that in mind. So I'm just making some quick announcements so everybody knows that we're on the same page. Don't miss Sunday services. On Sunday, we'll be speaking more about, in a very practical way, this thing called Thanksgiving. Mm. And Sunday night, we are going to pass the microphone, and you can give, I'll, I'll allow a three-breath testimony. All right? So take a deep breath, and what God has done for you, and how He's blessed you, and how you want to praise His name. Amen. We're going to have testimonies. We'll pass that microphone around and have a good time. Now, leave your bad attitudes at home and come on with an optimistic outlook uh, on what the Lord is going to be doing in the days ahead. One week from tonight, we light the candles, we dim the lights, we have a Thanksgiving candlelight service, soft and uh, enjoyable, the church family meeting together, and that's on the eve of Thanksgiving. And I hope you'll have a wonderful Thanksgiving at your house or if you're going out of town, Trust that you try to get back uh, and following. And into the month of December, as we finish out transition, now we're going to do something in 2022. Everybody say, rebuild. Rebuild. All right, Amos 9-11, the last part. Build as in the days of old. Not build like the radical political agenda of the left, but build, rebuild as in the days of old. Oh, God's doing some wonderful things. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's take our Bibles. Would you take your Bible with me? And turn to Colossians, 
Colossians chapter 1. We have read down through verse 14. We're picking it up at 15. But we want to keep our pronouns straight. And so if you're looking at the, the whole first chapter of Colossians, we want to look at the end of verse 13, which speaks of our having been translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. Somebody tell me the earthly name of His dear Son. It is Jesus. There's power in that name. Amen. There's authority in that name. Jesus. And so when you see in verse 15, the pronoun who is the image of that who and by him in verse 16 and he in verse 17 and he in verse 18 is all referring to the one who pleases God the Father and it pleased the Father in him that the fullness of the Godhead would dwell. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to read about him tonight beginning at verse 15 and the who refers to the dear son Jesus Christ. Who is the image, we're going to talk about that word, of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Now, don't bail on me. You say, firstborn of every creature, does that mean he... No, no, no. Stay with me. For by him were all things created. There you go. Verse 16 clears up your confusion about verse 15, doesn't it? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him. And know who the Him is, Jesus Christ, and for Him. And He, that's Jesus Christ, is before all things. And by Him, that's Jesus Christ, all things consist or hold together. And He, that's Jesus Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now there's firstborn again. We saw firstborn of every creature. We're going to see what that means in verse 15. Now we have firstborn from the dead. Why? That in all things he might have the preeminence. Say preeminence. Preeminence. That's not a word that we use every day. And consequently, there's a lot of confusion, at least blurry thinking about preeminence. But we're going to define that tonight as we speak on the subject. Christ is preeminent. Father, fill me now with the Holy Spirit. Bless us, Lord, we pray. I thank you for each one who's come out this evening. And Lord, I ask that you'll speak to each one who's viewing by live stream, listening on some podcast or some other platform. Lord, as this spreads around the world and from person to person and is forwarded from individual to individual, I pray that many might place their faith in Jesus Christ, and many might have their faith strengthened. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. I found this, the paradoxes of Christ. How many of you know what a paradox is? All right. Now, that's not like your preacher who's got two doctorates and got a paradox. No. A paradox is a seeming contradiction. All right. He was the light. Yet he hung in darkness on the cross. Think about that. He was the life. Yet he poured out his soul unto death. He was the rock of ages. Yet his feet sank into deep waters. 
He was the Son of God, yet He died a felon's death. He was holy, undefiled, separated from sinners, and knew no sin, yet He was, quote, made sin, unquote, when He took the guilty culprit's place and suffered in His stead. He bade the weary to come to Him for rest, yet not on earth could He find rest until He said, it is finished, and gave up His life to God. He was the mighty God, yet He became a man and was crucified through weakness. He was the image of the invisible God, as we've seen tonight in our scripture, yet His visage was marred more than any man. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in Him, as we see in the scripture to follow. Yet He took on Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. We saw that in Philippians chapter 2, didn't we? He spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. As we read, of course, in Genesis and in Hebrews and here in Colossians. He humbled Himself and became obedient even unto death, the death of the cross. He was the desire of all nations, yet he was despised and rejected of man. We see that in John chapter 1 and verse 11. He is the fountain of life, yet upon the cross he cried, I thirst. Can you understand these mysteries? These are the things that angels desire to look into, but they don't understand them, and the heaven cannot contain him. He is in comprehensible. We sing the mighty power of God. We do. We sing about our Lord and Savior who is God in a body. Years ago, when I was about to become the youth pastor of a church as a student in Bible college, we put together the words of many songs and choruses and placed them in, uh, on colored sheets of paper. They were mimeographed and uh, and I took them to this place of ministry, and that little youth group expanded from six, I'm talking about six, to a regular attendance ten times that size. On Sundays, we would have 60, and at youth activities, we would exceed 100. And on one occasion, in that little town of just not many thousand, in that little church of a hundred maybe plus, we were able to have over 200 young people in attendance. Now, we kept them excited, and we kept them singing, and kept them active. And we, the philosophy was, you know, you, you, you wear them out physically, you feed them, then you sit them down, and you sing and you preach the gospel to them, and you preach uh, stewardship, and you preach servanthood, and all those qualities that they're going to have to exhibit as they grow in grace. And guess what? These people grew up to serve the Lord. Some of them are preachers, evangelists, missionaries, uh, and, and preachers' wives, and, and Christian school teachers out of that group that numbered 60 on Sundays. Now, what was one of the main songs? The favorite song of this group was, Let's Talk About Jesus. Let all the world proclaim the power and majesty of such a wondrous name. The babe of Bethlehem, the bright and morning star, 
Let's sing his praises near and far. Now you can join me on the chorus. Let's sing about Jesus. Let's sing about Jesus, the King of kings. The King of kings is he, the Lord of lords. The Lord of lords, supreme through all eternity. Through all eternity. The great, the great I am, the way, the truth, the life, the door. Let's talk about Jesus more and more. Sing that chorus one more time. Let's talk about Jesus. The King of kings is he. The Lord of lords supreme through all eternity. The great I am, the way, the truth, the life, the door. Let's talk about Jesus more and more. And years after that group would sing that, they can still remember that. They can still hear it in their mind and in their heart. And they can hear this uh, energizer bunny of a youth pastor say to them, all right, let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about what he did for you this week. Did he help you with your studies? Did he help you in school? Did he help you uh, on, the, on the football field or on the basketball court or, or on the track or in the, on the baseball diamond? And we had a, a large number of converts in the public school athletic system that year. So we had some of them sitting right there. You know, they'd say, well, you know, God help me get through the game, you know, and praise the Lord for everything that young people and adults alike realize is worthy of praising the Lord for. By the way, what did he get you through this week? What did he get you through? So, man, he got me through the week so far. That's plenty right there. He got me through depression. He got me through the difficulty. He got me through a half-empty gas tank. He got me through some other things. He got me groceries. He got me got my, ba my bills paid and so forth. That is what the Lord is in the business of doing. He is in the business of answering prayers and helping us on a practical day-by-day -day level. I'm talking about this one who is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of every creature. Now this passage of Scripture, Colossians chapter 1, absolutely explodes false teaching, false doctrine, false thoughts about God and Jesus Christ. When you diminish God, when you make Him less uh, faithful, when you make Jesus Christ less God than He actually is, then that opens the door for all kinds of doubt and you have people who have been in church for years who are quitting on God the Father and on Jesus Christ because they haven't, they haven't got Him high enough in their sights. They're not thinking of Him in terms of what the Bible actually says. This passage of Scripture destroys the false teaching that diminishes God and Jesus Christ, and then it reveals exactly who God and who Jesus Christ, God the Son, who they really truly are. This raises or exalts him to his proper position. It was this same false teaching of diminishing God or watering down the truth that caused the Apostle Paul by inspiration to write the letter to the Colossians that we have as the book of Colossians in the New Testament. There was a rising heresy called Gnosticism. It's spelled G-N-O-S-T-I. Uh, schism, all right? Gnosticism. Gnosticism. T-I-C-I-S-I-C-I-S-M. -I 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 
N-A-S-S-M, excuse me, Gnosticism. It said, incorrectly, that you don't have to go through just Jesus Christ. Why, you can go through many intermediaries. And we have that today. There are those who think you can pray to the saints or pray to your mom or dad who has died or uh, pray to Mary. And all these people are wonderful people, but they are totally human, not God. You don't pray to anybody but God. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's it. So the first error of Gnosticism is going on today. We have Gnosticism around us. People talking about, I pray to my sainted mother. I pray to my uncle that's gone on and so on and so forth. No, you don't. You're not actually praying. You may be talking. You may be beating the air with your gums, but you are not praying because you can only pray to the one that can receive prayers that hears them and answers them, and that is God himself. Amen. Amen. So that's one of the errors that was prevalent in that day of Gnosticism. Secondly, Gnosticism said something about us. Gnosticism taught incorrectly that the physical body is inherently evil. No, we are sinners by nature because of the fall of Adam, and as a result, we possess a sin nature and Adam's nature in us, but your hands are not inherently wicked. Your physical flesh, your organs, you know, are not inherently wicked. You are not inherently evil. That is the lie of Gnosticism. Now, people who promote this might, be, uh, might have religious integrity and mean well. Their intentions may be good, but their doctrine, their head is all fuzzy. They are all mixed up. There is not one evil thing about you. Now, even, you say, well, I got arthritis. That's pretty wicked. That's not evil, though. It's not inherently sinful. I've got a bad back. That's not sinful. We may have limitations as a result of the fall into sin. We may have even done something to ourselves, not taking care of our body that has caused us to be the way we are. But our body itself is not inherently evil. The body needs to be controlled, disciplined. It needs to be under the authority of the Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's it. Because my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 6 19 and 20. Now you need to teach new converts that so that they respect the body and don't allow anything in it or on it or allow it to go anywhere or to do anything that would bring reproach on our Savior, Jesus Christ. But if we don't yield our spirit and our soul to God, our body will go wherever our, our own wicked intentions lead. All right, then number three, Gnosticism said incorrectly that the way to God is through knowledge. And that sounds good, doesn't it? Until you realize that that's not it. The way to God is through Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. And then as we yield to the Spirit of Christ, as we trust and obey, then we find blessing in our life. But the knowledge that we gain isn't going to get us the inside track with God. There are some Baptists today who actually believe that. And so they want to become more educated, have more degrees than a thermometer, and they think that's going to get them to God. The only reason you should be educated, please understand this as I say it, 
<clears throat> don't lift it out of context. The only reason you should be educated is so that you can be a good ambassador for Jesus Christ. So that you don't make mistakes and you don't put your foot in your mouth and, and uh, mess it up. You need to have some, some training and some education in the Word of God. But don't think that's going to get you any mileage with God. Not at all. God's, God doesn't have a little special board over here. He says, I'm going to give you a gold star because you know so much. Memorizing Scripture isn't so that we get favor with God. Memorizing Scripture is so we know how God wants us to live. Come on now. Come on. Give me an amen. This is good preaching. Amen. So there you go. Gnosticism really represented a, a terrible heresy that was, that was uh, en encroaching into the church at Colossae. A man once said, an aged minister said, to a young man, don't you know, young man, that from every town and every village and every little hamlet in England, there is a road to London. Can you imagine all these roads converging on London? Yes, was the reply. So continued the venerable man, from every text in Scripture, there is a road to the metropolis of Scripture, the London of Scripture, and that London of Scripture would be Christ. And your business is... When you get a text to say, now, what is the road to Christ? And then preach a sermon running along the road towards the great metropolis, the great London, which would be Christ. Now, I like that. What is the central theme of the Bible? Redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. Who is the central character of all history and of the Bible? Jesus Christ is. There it is. There it is. So we've come now to, I think, a time to make practical applications of the scripture that we're reading here. When the scripture says, who is the image of the invisible God? The, the word image means that it's an exact reflection. Do you recall when, when Jesus was asked in John 14, show us the Father, show us the Father. And Jesus said, have I been so long with you? Don't you realize the very cause, the very reason for Jesus Christ coming in the flesh doing this whole <clears throat> coming as a virgin-born baby into this world and living sinlessly, don't you realize that it was so that we could, with our human eyes, and we have the record in Scripture, we can read it, but with our human eyes, we could behold God in a body. That's it. The reason for Jesus coming is so we could know God with our senses the way <laughs> we desire to, and there, there is no other way. Jesus Christ is the exact, the precise, reflected image of God. And He is the, he is the, the glory of God on earth in that respect. So He came to show us the way. He is the exact image of the invisible God. Now God, among His attributes, uh, are listed, uh, He's invisible, and he is incomprehensible. Uh, but in total essence, God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, are the same. They're one and the same, in essence. So that's hard for some people to swallow, but that's true. Because our minds may be incapable of wrapping around that truth. doesn't make it any less true. We just accept it by faith. It was this Nature of God, God's nature that enabled 
Jesus Christ also to appear and disappear. We know after His resurrection, He walked through the door. But we also know that before His death, burial, and resurrection, He simply walked out of the crowd. You remember when they wanted to stone Him when He first began there in Galilee? You remember that? They, they got Him out to a cliff, and He just walked right through the crowd. I believe He walked through the... You're standing there, you go, wow, what was that? I believe He walked right through the crowd. Why? Because He's God. And he can do that. And when the scripture says in verse 15 that he is the firstborn of every creature, that does not mean that he is one of the creatures. He is the firstborn of every creature or he is over, he is firstborn, first in control because people in Bible times would understand firstborn. What was so important about the birthright? Huh? What was so important about the blessing, you that are in Bible Institute? I mean, it's all important because that's who's in charge. They're the leader of the family. They're the one through whom the line goes. And Jesus Christ, spiritually, is the firstborn or first in authority of all creation. Now, the next verse tells us that He is the Creator. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 1, and we know that in John chapter 1, is also true that He spoke everything into existence, for by Him were all things created. It's because of Jesus Christ. He spoke everything out of nothing. I mean, out of zero. He spoke it all into existence. And Jesus Christ is the Creator Himself. So they are going to be subject... <laughs> Creation is going to be subject to the Creator because they, that's how they got here. I, I want you to know the one big part of, of my allegiance to, respect for, and obedience. Uh, I was trained, but uh, my, my parents were responsible for me landing on the planet. I'm glad that Mom and Dad brought me physically into this world. I thank them for that. I feel really badly about those who are mad at their parents, they brought them into existence. They did you the greatest service, giving you the opportunity to breathe life. Every baby that's born fights for that breath, struggles for that freedom, for that liberty, that precious life breath. And who made it possible? Mom and Dad. God, of course, but mom and dad. Praise God for them. You ought to be thankful to your parents. If your parents didn't do right by you, thank God they at least brought you into existence and you've got an opportunity before God to get it right. Amen. There's nothing, aside from eternal life, there's nothing in this physical sphere that can compare with the blessing of life. It is a blessing to be alive. It is a blessing to be able to live and then to experience whatever God does through us, whatever He permits in our life, however He enables us to rise above the difficulties and be triumphant, to be a victor and not a victim. I am a propagator of the truth. 
that aside from eternal life, there is nothing in this world that can compare with just being alive and breathing that air and having one more heartbeat and having one more step and having one more opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. Amen. It's good to be alive. Thank you very much. So by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, and there is nothing that was not created other than the Godhead. Everything else was created in the heavens and on the earth. The things in the heavens refer to the entire system of, of sun, moon, planets, stars, galaxies, wind, the powers, what we would call gravity, magnetism, all things existing, everything all the way into what is heaven, heaven, the third heaven, and everything in between, all the atmosphere, all of it, all of it, God's created. You say, well, no, man has invented this and man has built that. Yeah, but they didn't start with their own stuff. God gave them the stuff to make it with. Guy said, I'm going to start my own creation. Okay, go ahead. Give me some of that. No, you got to make your own dirt. <laughs> you got to make your own stuff. You got to start from scratch. And nobody can except God. So he made everything visible and invisible. So some of the things that we credit God for, we can just see. And uh, I know that God allowed some men to construct this pulpit. But God caused the wood to grow up out of the ground. That tree was because of God's graciousness. And that ground, that soil with the nutrients and all the wind and the rain and the sun and everything that contributed to the growth of that tree so that now we've got this podium up here. God gets the glory for that. And the very strength that he gave the axemen to fell the tree and the very strength that he gave the individuals to load the lumber and uh, to put this together and the skill that they have, that all came from who? It came from God. came from our Lord and Savior. By him... All things created in heaven, in earth, visible, invisible, thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So even the devil himself, not created as the devil, he got to be the devil after he fell, after he was willful and he was disobedient and full of pride, he got to be the devil. But as the archangel Lucifer, he was created and, and was a beautiful creature. Now, not, not a demigod, but a creature uh, in whom, according to Ezekiel 28, there were musical pipes and things. And he was in charge of the music program in heaven. Trouble is, he wanted to be the, the uh, head, he wanted to be the pastor, you know. He didn't just want to be the music director, he wanted to be in charge. And uh, because of that, he and one-third of the heavenly host were thrown out. All right, so who is the head? Jesus is the head. Who's in charge? Jesus is in charge. All authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth, Jesus said. And that's why he could commission us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He's the head, as it says here. He is the head of everything. But now let's go back, verse 17. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. The word consist in the underlying text means that's how things hold together. There's an invisible force that keeps every, every atom 
from flying apart, every electron from flying out of orbit around the center of the atom. So there's some power that holds the atom together. There is some power that holds a, a number of these atoms together and they form molecules. And there is a power that holds all the molecules together in a thing. So that keeps this podium from flying apart. And that power is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the X force that holds it all together. By Him all things hold together. All things consist. So guess what? I know something that the agnostic and the atheist and the evolutionist hasn't got a clue about. They can just say, well, I don't know, put a question mark there, put an X there, but I know who holds it all together. And if he holds all the creation together, don't you think he holds our life together? And don't you think he's got our future all covered? Don't you think, yes, just like I said when I started out, God has this thing. He's got this thing. He's got your situation. He's got your situation, Tonio. He's got your situation, Charles Toro. He's got your situation. Whoever you are out there listening, whatever you're going through, he's got it. The old spiritual. He's got the whole world in his hands. That's very true. Everything under his control. Amen. And he is the head. He's in charge of the body of the church. That uh, assembly that we call the church. He's supreme. He's the originator. He's the author. He's the finisher. He's the one who presides over it. He's the one to be obeyed. He's the one we're to yield to. Don't ever say it's my church, your church, pastor's church, deacon's church, somebody's church. No, it's the Lord's church. And he's the beginning from time and before time. He's the firstborn from the dead. Now we have the second use of firstborn. In the first case, it speaks of his having authority over all creation which he created. The firstborn from the dead means he is the first in rank to come forth from the dead to never die again. Everybody who was raised from the dead in the Bible by the prophets, uh, by Jesus, by the apostles, everybody who was raised from the dead, guess what? They died again! But Jesus Christ is the first one to rise from the dead to never die again. So he is alive forevermore, praise the Lord, all the way through the book of Revelation. We see this to be true, that in all things he might have the preeminence preeminence, that he might hold first place, the place of priority, the place of propriety, the place of honor and respect, but the place of power as well, the place of, of the plan, of the order of the entire universe. This is it. The eternality of Christ cannot be questioned if you accept this Bible to be the very Word of God. I do. And you accept Jesus Christ then to be very God. There is no question that He is from the eternal past for all eternity. He is not limited. There was no beginning to Christ. Christ always was and will ever be. He is Savior. He is Master. He is Lord. 
of all. He is the one who holds it all together. He is the one who keeps and satisfies us. He is the one who will judge every sin and every iniquity and every evil intent. And He is the soon coming King who will rule and reign here and forever and ever. Praise the Lord. That's who we're talking about. Jesus Christ. It does not mean that Jesus Christ was ever in any way diminished. For when He emptied Himself, He did not cease to be God. He just simply ceased to exercise the independent control of His attributes as God and made Himself subject to the will of the Father. That's a mystery, but we believe it. Which was communicated to the Son by the Spirit. Jesus Christ was filled with the fullness of God and He was led of the Spirit of God. And in Christ, we have the perfect example of how we should and ought to be in this body as well. Would you bow your head and close your eyes, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Please, nobody looking. And we've been speaking about the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And if tonight God's Spirit spoke to your heart, would you indicate that by raising your hand high? God spoke to my heart. Amen and amen. And right now, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray from your heart to God right now? Something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. If you prayed that prayer, would you indicate that by raising your hand? I just prayed that prayer and I meant it. Yes, there is mercy for you.